All right, so we're in uh, week one of Not a Fan. This is your first time here. You're coming in on the ground level, basement floor here. Uh, a chance for you to chance for you to come in and uh, jump in with us on a brand new sermon series entitled Not a Fan. The sermon series is based loosely off of uh, a book written by a guy named Kyle Eidelman. Kyle's a pastor. Um, he's the teaching pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, he is, um, <clears throat> he is uh, not the senior pastor. He's actually going to be their next senior pastor. He's a guy in his uh, early 30s early to mid-30s, and uh, he's been there on their staff for over 10 years uh, now, and uh, really sharp, really uh, really intelligent guy. This is his first book, and uh, it's a really good one. I encourage you to pick it up. We'll have some uh, available for sale for $10 uh, next week, as well as we're going to take t-shirt orders at the very end of this uh, service tonight. If you'd like a book or a t-shirt, you can let us know. Each one is $10. So $20 bill, buy you a book and a t-shirt, and, uh, and then we're going to give you uh, the wristband for free. All right, sounds like an infomercial. <clears throat> uh, they're both $10. So t-shirt's $10, and, uh, and the book is $10, and we'll order those kind of on an as-needed basis. So we won't have a ton in stock, so you'll just tell us you want it, and, uh, and give us your money, and then we'll buy one, and you can get the next time that you're here either on Sunday or Wednesday. So we're passing around a teaching sheet. You should have one. Uh, if you don't have one already, you can raise your hand, uh, or if you see one's coming to you, you can just wait uh, in, in anticipation. But it looks like this just says, not a fan, week one, listening guide. And I invite you to take your Bibles and turn them to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is where we're going to be, but let me kind of set the stage. Uh, many of you have asked, what does it mean, not a fan? Well, we're going to talk about that tonight. Guys, we're going to talk about it for the next several weeks, going all the way up to our fall festival on October 31st. There'll be a couple of weeks where we won't have... Uh, Wednesday night, so we're not going to be talking about not a fan every single week uh, for the next couple months, but uh, we're going to take two kind of big runs at it here leading up to the end of September and then through October, uh, and then we'll come back. And uh, I'm really excited, I think, our next uh, series after that, so beginning in November when many of you switch over sports and kind of have to go play basketball or people come back to to us, uh, it's going to be called Plastic Jesus. And so I'm really excited about talking about Plastic Jesus. And uh, that'll be November 1st. But first, we have to get through Not a Fan. And uh, Not a Fan is, uh, is where we are today. So you get top of your teaching sheet there, and you've got the letters DTR. Somebody raise your hand and tell me what DTR means. What is a DTR? Somebody that's not a lead singer for the band. Anybody? There you go, Lydia. What, what do you got? Define or determine the relationship. Those of you who are filling the blank fan, all right, if you like to have all the blanks filled in. <clears throat> That's what it means. It means to define or to determine the relationship. Now, for the sake of your own uh, embarrassment or lack thereof, Caleb, where's Caleb at? I'm not going to ask you to, to, to publicly state all of your DTR um, conversations, okay? I'm just going to, we just don't have time to do that, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll do that maybe at a later time. We'll fill a, film a video or something. Uh, so we're not gonna we're not gonna uh, open the floor for this because it could get kind of could get kind of could get kind of hairy could get kind of messy. But have you had those conversations? Have you had a friend that's had those conversations? Have you been to a point uh, where where a friend said to you, "Hey, you know what you really need to do with this guy or this girl is you need to have a DTR. You need to define or to determine uh, the relationship. Who? What are you? Have you ever have you ever had one of those friends and people say, "So are are you guys like dating?" Are you just friends? Are you 
Uh, and so often, uh, the response that I get, and I work with teenagers, I'm around them a lot, and I ask them, hey, so what's up with you in like, you know, what's up with you and so-and-so, man? Have you guys been sitting kind of close in service? I see you kind of hanging out. Oh, we're just friends. I'm like, oh, okay. If uh, she saw you sitting that close to somebody else, would she put a brick through your windshield? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> All right, well, you may not be just friends. You might want to sit down and kind of hash that out and figure out exactly what, uh, what's going on. <clears throat> Some of you are just friends with uh, several guys or several girls, and you might need to kind of work on that, get that looked at. But uh, what's the point? The point is to, 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 to figure out, right, to figure out what is the commitment level here. Let's get on the same page, and let's figure out what is the commitment level uh, between the two of us, right? Are we just friends, right? Are we exclusive? Back in Roger's day, you used to call it what, Roger? Going steady, right? Is that it? Were you, you didn't predate the going steady days, did you? No, okay, all right, so it was going steady. So are you exclusive? Are you going steady? Are you, uh, here's a term that I've, uh, that I've hated since the moment I heard it. Are you friends with benefits, right? <clears throat> are you, uh, what, what are you? What is the nature of this relationship? What is the commitment level of this relationship? Um, because it's important to know, isn't it? Right, I mean, at some point, it's important to know hey, what is expected of me and what's fair for me to expect of you? At the end of the day, that's what we're trying to figure out, right? What is it that's expected of me and what is it that's fair for me to expect of you? And here's my fear, and I think this is why Kyle wrote the book. Right? My fear is that too often, too many of us treat our relationship with Jesus not as an exclusive uh, marriage or as a relationship, but as friends with benefits. We use Jesus and we take advantage of him only to our own benefit. But what we realize, what we don't realize when we do that is that we're really, uh, we're really compromising ourselves and we're really defaming the name of the Lord. Okay? And so tonight, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of look at that, but, but um, that's, tonight is really about for you, hopefully, by the end of the night, you can identify what is my commitment level, what is the DTR. So <clears throat> what is a fan? Fan's a noun. Uh, if you want a definition, if you have to have a definition, it's an enthusiastic admirer. It is an enthusiastic admirer. And the whole premise of the book is basically this, and the whole premise of the series is basically this, that, um, that it's time for Christians to get off of the sidelines to get off the sidelines and into the game. It's time for you to, to, I mean, you know, like these fans, any, um, any girls, any of you girls, do any of you uh, sit by or just have to be, or maybe it's a brother or a dad or somebody, or, or, or some guy, maybe it's another girl, but usually it's another guy who's just an annoying sports fan. I mean, like, that's all they tweet about. That's all they talk about. All their conversations revolve around draft picks and schedules, and strength of schedule, and who's hurt, and who's not hurt, and who we're playing, and what their slugging percentage is, and on base, and blah, 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 blah. And that seems all they can, the only intelligent conversation they can have is about their team or their sport. Any girls, any of you, have, any of you guys around that at all? Any of you, so you, guys, let me ask you this. Are you around any girls that are just absolutely, completely obsessed with celebrity culture? Right? Or they're, I mean, just absolutely, completely obsessed with, you know, the, the singer or the actress or the, or the whoever. Anybody, anybody say that? Yeah. 
I, I, don't, I don't live with one of those, but I used to. My sister was that way when she was in high school and drove me absolutely nuts, right? I mean, absolutely nuts. For her, it was NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. Uh, and it's probably, I haven't talked to her lately, but she's probably obsessed with Justin Bieber. So, <clears throat> uh, but, but we all know those people, and sometimes we are those people, right? Sometimes, if you, if, you're, if you can admit it, sometimes you are that person that you just, you are, you are, you are an obsessed admirer of somebody or something. And you know virtually all there is to know about that person, but you don't really know that person. For instance, the most followed person in the world on Twitter is who? Anybody know? Lady Gaga. That's right. Number one is Lady Gaga. Um, I don't follow Lady Gaga on Twitter, like Hunter. Um, but I don't follow Lady Gaga on Twitter, uh, but I can pretty much assure you I don't think I'm missing anything there. Okay, um, but I don't follow. But I'm one, but I'm I'm not one of the 28 million people that follow Lady Gaga on Twitter. Justin Bieber's second. He's uh, probably, I mean roughly 26 million, give or take like 100,000 people. Okay, which is really sad. Um, President Obama has 16 million followers. The Dalai Lama has um, five million followers, and uh, I have like 200 or something. Okay, so, uh, <clears throat> but here, here's the thing. Here's the challenge of Christianity, all right? Catch this right here. Here's the challenge of Christianity. How do we become a genuine follower, not just a fan? How do we become a genuine follower in a world obsessed with fandom? How do we become a genuine follower in a world obsessed with fandom? Fandom? Fan, F-A-N. All right, we're going to learn a new word today, class. <laughs> Fandom, F-A-N-D-O-M. Okay. You can look it up. It's a real word. <clears throat> the challenge of Christianity is become a follower, follower in a world obsessed with fandom. All these people, 28 million people follow Lady Gaga, 26 million people follow Bieber, uh, 16 million Barack Obama, 5 million, and then a whole bunch of, like, uh, international soccer stars that, that none of you know, except for, like, Alex and Noah and Riley. Um, <clears throat> so, so we have access to all this knowledge about people, but we don't actually know them, right? I mean, we don't actually, like, I follow Andy Stanley, who's a pastor in Atlanta. Uh, like, I don't know him, right? I, I just know some information about him. He helps, I mean, he helps me a little bit, but I don't, I don't know him in a genuine way. And we're going to look today at John chapter 3, starting John chapter 3, at a relationship that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. A man named Nicodemus. Um, and, and he's basically asking this question. Uh, and so we're going to look at how do you know if you're a fan or if you're a follower. And one of the ways that you know is you ask yourself this question. Who or what are you comparing yourself to? When you look at the when you look in the mirror, when you look in the mirror as you as you have conversations with adults, with your parents, with um, with your youth leaders, with Sunday school teachers, with coaches, administrators, with people that are invested in your life, and they ask you you know a question like how are you doing, you know or 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 when you're trying to 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 uh, to, to build some stock or, or to uh, gain some traction with your parents and you're trying to set yourself up as a good kid. Who or what are you comparing yourself to? 
Because too often what happens with me is that in order to make myself feel better about who I am and what kind of dad I am and what kind of husband I am, what kind of Christian, what kind of pastor, too often what I do and what I think probably happens with you as well is I compare myself to somebody who's probably not doing as good a job being a dad or being a husband or being a Christian or being a pastor. And so I'll compare myself with the youth pastor that I see. He gets up at 10.30, and he takes a two-hour lunch, and he goes plays in golf, and he goes home. I think, man, that guy, man, he's wasting his time. He doesn't work hard. He doesn't, he doesn't, ever, you know, he doesn't invest in students. He doesn't invest in leaders. He's not getting in the office. He's just not getting anything done. And look at that guy. What a, what a, man, I'm so glad that I'm not like that guy. I meet with these dads and these husbands and their marriages have fallen apart and they never see their kids, their kids hate them. I'm like, man, man, when I walk in the door, my kids love me and my wife adores me. I'm so glad I'm not like them. I'm so glad I'm so much of, you know, I'm, I'm so much of a better dad. I'm so, I'm so glad my kids have, you know, have me and not that guy. I'm so glad Megan's married to me and not that guy. Haven't you done that? You should that when your parents are getting on your case. You go, Mom, you think I'm such a bad kid? You ought to see what so-and-so is doing, right? You think you can't trust me? What do you think brother or sister is doing when you're not looking? What do you think? What do we do? We compare ourselves to somebody else or some other standard when what we ought to compare ourselves to and what Jesus is going to talk about in, in, in John in the book of in Nicodemus, in the story of Nicodemus, is that, it doesn't do you any good to justify or to compare yourself to something external, right? to somebody else, to someone else, or something else. The standard is Jesus. Right? The standard is Jesus. And what Jesus is calling you to do and, and who he's calling you to be, not somebody else and their shortcomings uh, or their failures. Right? But a question that you've got to ask yourself in determining am I a fan or am I a follower is, who do I find myself comparing myself to? Okay. What person or persons or behavior uh, or standard am I, guys, write this down. What per, who, who, am I, who am I comparing myself to? All right, so let's look at Jesus and what Jesus has to say. John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1 uh, and, and read there. We're in the English Standard Version. If you brought one, we'll also put it up on the screen. Again, it's John chapter 3, uh, verse 1, looking at verse uh, 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He was a, he was a religious elite. He was a member of the Sanhedrin as well. Uh, he's the, he's the, it doesn't get any more upper crust or religiously connected, uh, politically connected than, than this guy named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. It's important. We'll come back to it in a second. Came by Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you, uh, that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say, to, say unto you, you that one must be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God, that unless one is born again. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the sec- into a second time his mother's womb and be born? He's asking, he's, he's, Jesus uh, presents him with a, a spiritual statement. He's asking a physical question, okay? He's, he's totally missing the boat at this point. Verse 5, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is of the flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, 
and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay? Um, you're just going to have to trust me. What, what he's doing is he's basically condemning Nicodemus. Right? He's saying, how can you be a religious ruler? How can you be somebody, a teacher of the law? How, how can you be somebody who's, um, who's so connected with so much information? You've memorized the first five books of the Bible. How can you have all of this knowledge and have missed the entire point of who I am and what God is all about? He said, how can you ask such a, an absurd question, such a simple statement that somebody must be born again. He goes on in verse 9. Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? He's confused, okay? He's confused. We'll talk about why in just a second. Jesus asked, answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of that we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, then how can I believe, uh, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. He's talking about himself again, and, and he's foreshadowing or foretelling uh, his future and going to the cross and being lifted up on a cross, just like Moses lifted the serpent up um, in the book of Exodus, okay? So all of this is say, what, is, what does it mean? What does it boil down to? Here's what it says, okay? Nicodemus struggled with Jesus' answer because for him, his relationship with God was all about the external. It was all about the external. So if you're looking for a blank to fill in, there's your blank. For Nicodemus, his relationship with God was all about the outward appearance that he was right with God by keeping the law. He had read it, he had memorized it, he was versed in it, he was a scholar. And Jesus is saying, you've read all of these things and you've memorized all these things and you've never once thought about or considered what it really means. You've never once thought about considered what it really means and about how the law should point your, your inner heart to a need for something greater than the law. And how the law is designed to, to identify the fact that you're a sinful person in need of a savior, in need of a rescuer. And, and so uh, Nicodemus begins, and so he comes to him at night, right? And it's really important that he comes to at night for a couple of different reasons. And the most important is um, he didn't want to be seen. Nicodemus was part of a religious establishment that was trying to actively work against Jesus and against the teaching of Jesus and against Jesus' ministry on earth. And he was part of, 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 of an establishment that was trying to protect his own power. But he comes to Jesus at night because God's working in his life, and, and he's curious about the things of the Lord, and he's curious about Jesus, and he comes to him at night so he can't be seen uh, by anybody else. So he's trying to keep his commitment to Jesus as low-key as possible. He's trying to, to uh, as cautiously as he can, pursue a relationship with Jesus, but he's too focused on the external, and he misses uh, the very clear, uh, the very clear teachings of Jesus. Okay. Because he was so focused on the external, he missed what was right there in front of him. I want to ask you a question. Right? I want to ask you a question. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, if you consider yourself a follower, not a fan, that you you you'd say. I am a radically devoted follower of Jesus. I'm going to ask you a question. 
what has that cost you? What has that cost you? What does it cost you to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Just take your Bibles and turn them to John chapter 7. We're going to pick up um, pick up a next little uh, a little jump, a little window into the life of Nicodemus. The sense that Jesus, um, that the testimony, the ministry of Jesus is starting to weigh on the spirit of, of Nicodemus, that God's working in his heart. And... There's some division among the people, uh, this religious establishment that Nicodemus um, and some others represent are actively working to discredit the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is um, going around, he's teaching, he's performing miracles, people are being healed, uh, signs and wonders by his disciples are taking place, all in the power and the name of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And the political and religious establishment is quickly losing ground, okay? They're quickly losing ground to Jesus, and when people do that, they become... um, divisive and defensive and, and began to plot even to, at this time, to take Jesus' life. And I want to pick up this story in verse 45 uh, of chapter 7, John chapter 7. And the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? Okay, and the officers said, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed? Have, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? This crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, talking about Jesus, uh, and who was with one of them, said to said to them, "Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does?" So he's asking, and he's starting to try to work kind of from the inside, and he's and and he's becoming more bold. He's becoming more bold in his faith, and he says, and he asks this group of people who are basically trying to accuse and convict Jesus when he's not present. He's basically saying, doesn't our law prohibit this? Shouldn't we at least sit down with them and have the opportunity to kind of maybe hear what he's all about? And look at what they say. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Which doesn't seem like a real shock, but we'll talk about it in a second. Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. What they were basically doing, and you can kind of surmise, like context clues, is they're they're making fun of Nicodemus, and they're saying, "Wait, are you are you saying that you're like this kind of hillbilly redneck preacher like Jesus too? Don't you know anything? Don't you know the scriptures that there's nothing good has ever come from, or nor nor nothing good will ever come from Galilee? Are you just are you like this kind of redneck carpenter too? Is that what you are? Is that who you want to be? And uh, and and so Nicodemus is is now beginning to feeling public pressure, uh, and, and he's being ridiculed publicly by uh, members of this very, very, very elite religious establishment. Following Jesus ought to cost you something. Here's the big idea. There's no way to follow Jesus without him interfering with your life. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. There's no way to follow Christ without him interfering with your life. Your relationship with Christ, talking to you as a believer. If you're not a believer in this room, um, then, then, uh, then I'm glad that you're here. Okay? And, and you deserve to know this and to hear this up front. Okay? Following Jesus ought to cost you something. 
there are some things, some attitudes, some behaviors. Uh, there are some things that you should have to give up to follow Jesus. There's some fleshly desires, some things that you'd naturally be inclined to do that because you're a follower of Christ, you can't do those anymore. And that's a good thing. There's some things that in your own spirit, in your own heart, in your own flesh, without a relationship with Christ, you wouldn't have any desire to do. But because of your relationship with Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit working in your life, God's calling you to do some things that are just, they're naturally uncomfortable. Guess what? That's okay. That's okay. Your speech should be different because you have a relationship with Jesus. Your attitude to your parents and to your sisters and to your authorities and to your teachers and your, and your coaches ought to be different because you have a relationship with Jesus. The way that you dress and, and um, uh, the way that you carry yourself, the, kind of, the, the, the jokes that you laugh at, all of those things have to be different because you're a follower of Jesus. And if none of those things are different, if you don't look any different, if you don't smell any different, if you don't look any different to the outside world, if, if your speech is not any different, if the habits and the things that you uh, seek and derive pleasure from, if none of those things are different than the watching world, then I ask you this question, are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you somebody who just talks a good game or are you somebody who's really in the game and trying and doing your very best to follow after Jesus. Because let's be honest, we can tell, can't we? Don't you just have certain conversations with people? Aren't there people in your life, those of you that have been around Christians, you've been around believers, and you've been around church, can't you tell people that are authentic? Can't you tell people that just, man, Jesus is just all over that person, and you want to be like, you want to be like them, right? Like you, there's just, Aren't there just people, can't you tell, and can't you tell people, I mean, they say they go to church, and they say they read their Bible, but they don't look any different. They don't sound any different. What they do on weekends for fun, it's no different. There's no distinction at all from the rest of the world. I pray that we become followers and not fans. Flip finally to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. put 31, but actually I meant to put 39, so I apologize for that. Uh, but in, in um, <clears throat> the end of John chapter 19, Jesus dies. The religious establishment essentially sets him up and um, forces the Roman government to, to execute him, and, and he's executed, okay? Uh, he's hanged on a cross and Big nails are driven through his wrist and through his, uh, through his feet, and he suffocates on a cross. And in verse 38, it says, after these things, um, which is after they had, after they had uh, really broken the body of Jesus and they had taken him down, um, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate, that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Um, this is a very costly gift financially, 
but it was also even more so a cost, a costly expression of his true, uh, by, th- by this point, his true devotion and affection for Jesus. We see a movement in him from John chapter 3 to John chapter 7 to John chapter 19. A man who's intrigued by Jesus, a man who is willing to publicly stand up for Jesus, and then ultimately a man uh, who's willing to publicly identify with Jesus. So he wouldn't identify himself as a follower of Christ and somebody who, who's deeply moved uh, by, his, by his death and willing to express it in a costly financial gift. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Is your desire for your spiritual life to be one that's kind of touched up or does God need to just completely renovate your heart? Do you need just a a spiritual tune-up in your life or or does, does God, do you believe God's trying to completely overhaul who you are? Are you trying to put makeup on on, on somebody who's just a casual fan of Jesus, or does God desire to completely make you over into a follower of him? Are you somebody who desires to just kind of redecorate and, and do what you can to, to, to be a, a better Christian, but not somebody who's really following Jesus, or do you need to completely remodel uh, your entire life to follow after Jesus? The... Um, Think about relationships is they're 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 confusing, aren't they? Relationships are kind of confusing. I have an opportunity to sit with a number of uh, guys that used to be in our you know student ministry and now they're in college and some of these guys now are starting to think about getting married and they meet girls and you know occasionally they can talk with girls but but most of the time it's with guys and, and they'll say, Hey, I think I found someone really special. Man, that's awesome. Tell me about it. How long have you been together? Like two months. All right, <laughs> okay. Here's my question, all right? Here's my question um, that I kind of use, one of the things, one of the diagnostic tools that I have to, 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 to tell couples whether or not I think they're ready to, to start talking seriously about marriage or not. There's other things, but here's one of them. One of the questions that I ask them is, tell me about how you fight. Tell me about how you fight. And if the answer is, we don't ever fight. Okay, you know what? You're definitely not ready. <laughs> You're definitely not ready. But I ask him, how do you fight? Because that's one of the first things that kind of break couples up is they don't learn how to fight. When there's tension, when it really comes down to it, when you really when you really kind of figure out, hey, this is what I expect of you and what you should expect from me. For some people, they say, yeah, that wasn't exactly what I was looking for. Here's my challenge to you. I think what you're going to find over the next couple weeks and what Nicodemus experienced in the book of John is that what Jesus wants is everything. And what Jesus expects is to be Lord and Master and Commander of everything. 
And that for us to identify ourselves as Christians is for us to say, I'm a completely committed follower of Jesus. It's not enough just to believe. It's not enough just to know the information. But what's expected of me is to, some, is to be somebody who's completely following Jesus. Next week, we're going to look at Luke chapter 7. And we're going we're to see to answer a question, do you know Jesus or do you just know about him? And we're going to look at intimacy with Christ and how we can, how we can have and we can achieve uh, intimacy with, with the real person uh, of Jesus. All right? So I invite you to come back next week. Uh, before we leave, before we dismiss, we're going to sing one song of, of just a response. And so I want you to just kind of leave everything right where it is. Don't put anything up. Don't, don't zip. Don't anything. As we sing this song, okay, we've given you some questions to think about, some questions to reconsider. Uh, but here's the big idea for today. Here's what I don't want you to miss. There is absolutely no way for you to follow Jesus and him not interfere with your life. To follow Jesus is to agree and to give the God of the universe, the one true living God, permission to interfere with your life. So you can't follow Jesus and stay the person that you once were. And so as we sing, I want you, if you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to pray, you can pray. If you want to come to the front, you can come to the front. If you want to speak with an adult, there's adults all across the room, all across the back and the sides. They're willing to step out and to pray with you and to talk with you. But I want to challenge you this. I want to challenge you with this. Is there an area of my life, is there an area of my life that I'm not allowing Jesus to interfere with? Am I, am I saying to God, am I virtually saying to God, I'm willing to be a fan in this area of life because I am not willing to let you have every part of who I am. Because if you can't do that, you don't know how to have intimacy with Jesus. You can't keep, can't keep Jesus at arm's length and talk about intimacy with Christ, which is what we're going to talk about next week. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to come and worship. Father in heaven, God, I thank you for the example of Nicodemus. And God, I thank you for the great challenge that you've laid out before us to be and to become a follower, a truly committed, truly devoted follower of you. God, too often we've made, we've made a relationship with you something that's too easy, something that doesn't cost us anything. God, tonight I pray that the students in this room would give you permission to interfere with every aspect of who they are and what they're about. God, I pray that we'd be known as a group of people, a group of young people, called and convicted, set apart and drawn out to completely follow you with every part of who we are. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.